are coming back. Um, today's scripture is from John 20, 1 through 18. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. that if you are here this morning, it's not by accident, but on purpose. God has saw fit for you to be here, for us to be together this morning, this particular Easter Sunday. So before we jump into John 20, would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks that your mercies are new every
When we see something, we, we see it with the hope to gain knowledge and understanding. Maybe you've heard. place in John chapter 20 that Elam just read for us is astonishing. It's absolutely amazing. But the weight of it won't sink in for us if we don't take a few moments to remember, a few moments to reflect on what has already been accomplished. In John... Every way imaginable. A person's arms were outstretched and their legs outstretched, nailed to wooden beams. But that wasn't what would ultimately kill them, not the nails in their hands and in their feet. It was the fact that they had to hold their entire body weight up on nails driven through their body. Ultimately, someone would die a slow and agonizing death from suffocation by being nailed to a cross. Jesus is hanging from the cross for some time and he's weary and he's weak. And we learn that he asks for a drink. See, Jesus' throat is parched and he wishes to say something. He wishes to say something to the crowd. He wishes to say something to the world. He wishes to say something to us. And we see in John chapter 19, verse 30, what he says, it is finished. It is finished. Now, this isn't the moan of the defeated. It's not the sigh of the resigned. This is a triumphant declaration of victory. It is finished finished. What is he declaring victory over? Your biggest problem and mine. 
See, all of us have rebelled against God. All of us have chosen to go our own way. We've all sought to be independent, self-sovereigns, something none of us are qualified. None of us are capable of being or doing. So that puts you at odds with God. It's treason against him. He's the only one who is the ruler over all things, including our very own lives. It's what the Bible calls sin. And scripture tells us that the consequences for our sin, the consequences for our rebellion is death and separation from our good and holy God. But that's exactly why Jesus came. It's exactly why he willingly went to the cross. See, Jesus' death on the cross was not just physically painful. All the wrath that you deserve for your rebellion was poured out on him in that moment. He stood in your place. Jesus became a substitute for you. He died for sin, not his. He didn't have any. He died for you in your sin. And something we have to understand, something we have to get in that moment is that Jesus didn't meet you halfway. He didn't look at the bill of debt of sin that stood against you before God and say, why don't we split this? No, he said, I will pay for it all. I'll take it all on myself. I'll cover every last bit of it. In this moment, when Jesus died, the wrath of God, his righteous wrath was satisfied. In Jesus, it is finished. But now, Jesus is dead. And for his closest followers, as we just heard in the story read by his two families, they're having all kinds of emotions, experiencing all kinds of different things. There's confusion and sadness, anger and fear, faith and hope, wondering and waiting, waiting to see what will happen next. When you're waiting on something to happen, doesn't time seem to pass so slowly? His disciples and the world hold their collective breath, wondering is this it? Is this, is this really all that there is? Friday, Jesus died and was buried. Saturday, Jesus' body lay lifeless in the tomb. But friends, Sunday is here. Which brings us to our next scene, seeing to believe. We see this in verses 1 through 10. Look at verse 1 with me again in chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Imagine this scene, it's early, it's pre-dawn on Sunday. And Mary goes to the place where Jesus had been buried on Friday. It's the first day of the week and it's the beginning of something new. Mary goes to the tomb with her mind swirling. She goes in a state of grief and devotion. Jesus has changed Mary's life. He's healed her, he's redeemed her but now he's gone. But when Mary arrives at the tomb, she sees that the stone that should have been in front of the tomb is no longer there. And this is shocking for her, it's startling for her, and she thinks she knows what's happened. Someone has stolen Jesus' body. Grave robbers have come to take him out of the tomb. And so we see in verses two through four, she runs off to his disciples, his closest followers, Peter and John in particular, and she goes to them and she says, someone's taken Jesus's body. I don't know where it is. I don't know what's going on. We can imagine Peter and John also now their minds reeling, take a run, sprint off to this tomb to see if what Mary's saying is actually true. 
they arrive there and we learn John arrives first. And in verse five, it says, and stooping to look in, he, meaning John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. From what John can see, there is no body there. Just these strips of cloth that have been used to wrap Jesus's body before burying him. John waits outside. Now he has all kinds of questions rolling around in his own mind, emotions continuing to mount. Peter, Peter actually goes inside the tomb. Look at verses six and seven. Then Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Peter sees what John sees and what he doesn't see. There's no body there. Jesus's body is not there. But he also sees this face cloth that had been on Jesus's head. Now, as I was reading that this week and thinking about it, I was like, why are these very specific details in here? Why is he telling us about all these little parts and pieces to this story? Well, one reason is because these two men are eyewitnesses. They're testifying to what they see but also because of the significance of what it is that they see. Now I have four kids and our older kids, one of the things they need to do in our home is that they have to put away their clean laundry. It's been cleaned for them, washed for them, but now they have to actually fold it or hang it up and put it in their closet. It's not one of their favorite things to do, but something we ask them to do. And even if they want to get through that quickly, even if they want to move on to the next thing, they can't just open the closet door and chuck everything inside and then shut it. No, they have to take some time and some intentionality. It takes a bit of, bit of focused energy to neatly put away clothes, doesn't it? I mean, clothes don't fold themselves. See, Peter goes in and then John follows. And what they see inside the tomb is not a scene of chaos. It's not a scene of confusion, but one that is orderly, even peaceful. Someone did this with thoughtfulness. Someone did this with intentionality. That means that this wasn't the work of grave robbers like Mary suspected. I mean, they wouldn't have taken time to fold up a headcloth nice and neat and have things orderly. No, something else has happened. Something miraculous, something extraordinary. The one who declared it is finished, who died in our place for our sin, he's alive. And in that moment, the light bulbs start to go off in John's mind and in John's heart. In this moment, John gets it. Look at verse eight with me. Then the other disciple, who's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and he believed. Seeing the grave clothes and no body, everything changes for John. He now believes that Jesus, the one who had been crucified and buried, has risen from the dead. Now, this wasn't a, a full-orbed faith for John, as we see in verse 9. He didn't yet have a full understanding of everything that was taking place. That would come later. But it was enough for John in that moment for John's faith to come alive because he now believed Jesus was alive. John goes on to tell us in verse 10 that they went back home after this. This is a matter of fact that he's stating for us. But we learn in Luke chapter 24 that Peter went away wondering what had happened. I mean, can you imagine this? These guys' emotions are already all over the place. And now they believe that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the grave. And so their emotions are all over the place again. They're both reeling and rejoicing, confused and confident. So many thoughts, so many feelings all at the same time. Do you ever have moments like that? 
where you're confronted with something and your mind's racing and you don't know exactly know what to do with it and you're feeling all kinds of different things at once, you can only imagine what it would have been like for them. They go back home, minds racing, hearts beating fast, but Mary, she remains. Which brings us to our next scene, our next section, believing to see. Look at verse 11 with me. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Peter and John looked in and went in, but Mary hadn't done that yet. Maybe she was standing off at a distance. Maybe she walked back to the tomb as they had run back to the tomb. But now Mary's here and she's alone and she's grieving. Jesus' body is missing and Mary doesn't understand what's happened. As tears flow down her face, as, as her chest heaves in grief, she looks into the tomb. What she sees isn't exactly what Peter and John saw. Look at verses 12 and 13. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. The body of Jesus isn't there, but two angels are. Now it's interesting to me, it doesn't seem that Mary at least acknowledges that these are angels. She doesn't seem to react much to their presence. All she can think about in this moment her mind is overwhelmed with, she's so laser focused on, is where someone might have taken Jesus' body. She's seeing, but not yet believing. She doesn't have further conversation with the angels, though, because someone is approaching, someone who might have answers for her. She doesn't know it yet, but everything is about to change for her. Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She sees Jesus, but she doesn't really see him because she doesn't recognize him. Maybe it's because it's still dark outside. Maybe Jesus's head is covered. Maybe it's because Jesus's body has been glorified and looks different to her. I mean, has something like that ever happened to you where you see something, but you don't really see it? Like it's right in front of your face, you're looking and you're intent on trying to find it. Maybe it's at the store. You're looking for something on an aisle and you're like, I don't see it. And it's right there in front of you. You're seeing it, but you're not seeing it. For whatever reason, your eyes and your brain aren't putting those pieces together. Oftentimes that happens when our emotions are heightened. There's an intensity, an overwhelming feeling. Well, for some reason, that seems to be what's happening with Mary. Her seeing doesn't lead to belief, at least not yet. And then Jesus speaks to her. Look at the beginning of verse 15. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus asks Mary two questions, but Jesus isn't seeking information from Mary. Jesus is always purposeful, always intentional in what he says and what he does. When he says, whom are you seeking? This isn't about information. He's asking a heart question of Mary. Mary, what kind of rescuer have you been looking for? What kind of redeemer are you now looking for? See, Jesus had already changed Mary's life, but her view of her Messiah, her view of her redeemer is still too small, still, still too short-sighted. Because Jesus isn't dead. He's standing right in front of her, risen and glorified. But she doesn't see it. She doesn't see him. I wonder if, if some of you might be in the same place this morning. Maybe you've been checking out church or Jesus. 
Maybe you grew up in the church, been around it for a while. You've heard these stories before. Maybe you're here today because you feel like you're supposed to be. It is Easter after all. But I wonder, I wonder if in all of that, you've missed seeing Jesus, the real risen Jesus who is right before you. The one who knows every single thing about you. No part of your thoughts or your life hidden from him. Who knows everything about you and yet invites you to himself. Invites you to experience real life and real forgiveness and real freedom. The one who says to you even now, come alive. Come alive. Rise up out of sin and death and be made new. Do you see him? Will you believe in him? Mary, Mary doesn't yet. She's distracted. She's emotional. Her mind is racing. Her eyes looking back and forth between this person talking to her in this empty tomb. Her Savior speaking to her. But she thinks maybe it's the gardener. Maybe he knows something. Maybe he's the one that took this body. And so she asks him, verse 16, if he knows anything. Jesus doesn't just know things, though. Jesus knows her. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, this is powerful. All Jesus says is Mary and her eyes are opened. With the familiar tone and tenor of the voice of her redeemer, she hears her name and she turns and she finally sees and she finally believes. In John chapter 10, verse three, Jesus says as the good shepherd that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love this about Jesus. He has an intimate knowledge of each of his people. He knows who you are. He calls you by name. He knows everyone. He calls you with a tenderness and intentionality, a, a nearness. It's exactly what's happening here for Mary. He says her name and every ounce of anguish and grief is swallowed up and extinguished. She says her name and in an act of faith, of belief, she turns and now she sees. She actually needed to believe in order to see, for the distractions to dissipate, for everything else to melt away, to see her rabbi, to see her teacher, to see the one who knew everything about her, who saw her at her very worst and redeemed her, her risen savior standing right in front of her. Now Mary presumably goes over to Jesus at this point and hugs him. Because in verse 17, Jesus gently says to her, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. I will go to the Father, but I haven't gone yet. Instead, instead, go and tell the others that I'm about to go to my Father, their Father. Go and tell them I am risen. So Mary does just that. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Mary had seen Jesus before, but now she's seeing him with new eyes. And that's exactly what we need to do as well. It brings me back to the question I asked at the beginning. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Not a misconception of Jesus, not a caricature of Jesus built on either incomplete or inaccurate information. No, have you seen the real and risen Jesus? I wonder for some of you if Jesus isn't just a historical figure like George Washington or Harriet Tubman, but has no real impact on your life. Maybe you look at Jesus and think you can learn from him and his teachings, but 
That's, that's about it. But the difference with Jesus is Jesus isn't a person left in the past. No, he's our once dead, now risen redeemer, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's alive and ruling and reigning today. Friends, like Mary, Jesus saw you at your worst and he came to rescue you. He died in your place for your sin. He rose from the grave for your victory. See, the cross is glorious. We could focus on that all day and think about the fact that Jesus took all of our sin on his back, on his shoulders, and paid for it all, but it would be incomplete apart from the resurrection. And we don't just have a saving king, we have a risen king, made new so that we could be too. That means that the resurrection is the exclamation point on it is finished, and it changes everything. Romans chapter 6 tells us that when Christ died, we died. And when Christ was raised from the grave, we too were raised from the grave. To walk in the newness of life. That if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have a new identity. You're adopted into the family of God. Everything's been made new for you. You're a new creation in Christ. So let me ask you again. Have you seen Jesus? Are you seeing him now? You may be thinking, that would be nice. I mean, John saw the empty tomb. Mary saw the risen Jesus. How can I see Jesus now? Good question. Later in John chapter 20, Jesus appears to more of his disciples. And he says something to them that's an encouraging word to us. John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is talking about you and he's talking about me and the fact that we don't see him physically like they did, yet we can still believe. But here's what I don't want us to miss in this. Like Mary and like John, your believing can lead to seeing and your seeing to believing. So you and I may not be able to see the risen Jesus physically, but you can see him now in his word. You can see him now in his word, the Bible. This is not a, a dead book of information. This is the living and active word of God. And in it, we can see Christ. We can see our risen savior, our high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness, who's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, who sits at the right hand of the throne of God and is available and willing to give grace and mercy and help in time of need. Our risen Savior who came to take on humanity, who is like us, the one who is gentle and humble, compassionate and kind, the one who heals and restores, the one who holds all things together, the one who is full of grace and truth. We see him in here. So listen, if you are rejecting Jesus or rejecting the good news of the gospel, but you have never actually really taken time to thoughtfully and intentionally read the Bible, let me encourage you, let me challenge you to take time just this month, the month of April, to read through the Gospel of John and see Jesus in these pages. But when you do that, don't do it alone. Ask someone who's already a follower of Jesus to do that with you so that you can talk with them about what you're reading and who you're seeing. 
For those of you that already are following Christ, who already have faith in him, let me ask you, are you continuing to look for Christ through the pages of scripture with new eyes and fresh faith? I love the fact, this amazing reality that Jesus told us that when he left to go be with the Father, that he would send his Holy Spirit. And that by sending his Spirit, he'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That means that if your faith is in Christ, you've been now filled with the Spirit. And so when you hear a sermon preached or you read God's word, you can see Christ in that. You can see and understand. So are you continuing to sit at the feet of your Savior? Sit at his feet by the help of the Spirit to see your heart and your mind renewed? Are you continuing to go to the one who says to you, come to me and find rest for your soul? Friends, our world is full of distractions, so many things vying for our attention all of the time. Maybe for you it's work right now. You're overwhelmed with all that's going on. Maybe it's your kids and life at home or a relationship or marriage. It's your finances, sports, school, entertainment. There's so many things. The list goes on and on. I find my mind racing often with all the things that I feel like I need to do, even good things. But that's exactly why I want us to slow down. Exactly why I want us to set our gaze our eyes on our risen Savior over and over again. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul calls us to that. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture that's been such an encouragement and help for me over the years. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this, If then you have been raised with Christ, Jesus is alive, Jesus is risen. If you're in Christ, you've been raised with him. And then he says this, because that's true of you, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This, this fuels belief. When we open up the pages of scripture and we set our gaze on Christ and not on our sin and not on the distractions of this world, we can see him again. It helps us to see our risen Savior in the midst of a world that wants you, that wants you, that calls you to look for hope and look for peace and look for joy in anyone or anything except him. We can see him in his word. But we also are able to see him in the lives of his people. Mary testified to what she saw and we can do the same thing. You and I can testify to what we've seen. We can testify to the work that we see God doing in our lives, the work he has done in our lives, in the lives of one another. We can share stories of the resurrecting work of our risen Savior. I know that even in this room right now, as a part of this church, that there have been people who have seen addictions broken, relationships restored, marriages healed, character being renewed, generational sin being repented of. Joy and peace in the midst of difficult seasons of suffering. People being saved from their sin. The list goes on and on and on. Friends, Jesus is at work in us. Jesus is at work among us. He's at work bringing life in places of death because Jesus is alive. See, I'm not here to prove the resurrection to you through plausible arguments or apologetics. No, I'm here to testify to its reality in my life and the lives of people in this room this morning. So if you don't know anyone here, if you haven't heard these stories of God's resurrecting power in our lives, jump in. This will fuel belief for you. It will help you to see 
the risen Jesus. Listen, the impact of the resurrection, it's not a one-time fact that has one-time implications. No, the resurrection is a life-altering, life-shaping reality. It gives you hope for now and the future. And that's something that all of us need. Bob Dylan famously sang, everything is broken. Everything is broken. And you know, sometimes it feels like that's very, very true. We look around the world, we look within our own hearts and lives, and there's a lot of broken parts and broken pieces. But that's exactly why we need the resurrection now. It's why we need to see Jesus today. It's why if you haven't yet placed your faith in him, to place your faith in him today, just as much as John and Mary and the other disciples needed then, because this isn't the end of the story. It's a continuation of it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever because Jesus is alive. So may you and I continue to see and believe our risen Savior. Or if you haven't yet placed your faith in him, that you would start today, that today would be the day of your salvation to believe, see and believe in him. And as we continue to see him and as we continue to believe in him, it'll give you hope for now and the future because it validates a promise to you. Because Christ has come, because he's been raised from the grave, we can know that he will come again and make all things new. Everything is broken, but it won't be that way forever, friends. Listen to me. You may be pressed down right now, feeling like you're getting beaten down in life with so many different challenges and difficulties, but listen, if you are in Christ, you aren't defeated. You aren't defeated because Jesus rose for your victory. And one day when Jesus comes again, he will call you by name out of the grave to rise with him. And in it's your place, he will bury all of your sin and all of your suffering and all of your tears forever. One day you will see your risen savior face to face with new eyes and a finished faith. So let me ask you one last time this morning, have you seen Jesus? Are you seeing him now? No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, let me encourage you to open his word and spend time with his people. And in that, may you see to believe and believe to see until he comes again, because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, magnificent, gracious, glorious God, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ, that he isn't a person left in the past, but he is our once dead, now risen redeemer who's alive and well, ruling and reigning. God, would you help us by the power of your spirit to see him today, whether that's for the very first time in our life or for the thousandth time, help us to see and to believe. Help us in the midst of a world full of distractions to set our gaze on our resurrected king and give us hope for now and the future when we will, he will come again to make all things new. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.